I guess I'm going to come on up here if that's okay with you. I thought about being down there, but I told Jonathan I want to get used to this pulpit because I'm going to be in it seven times. And uh, it takes a little while to adjust to a pulpit, doesn't it, Randy? Anytime you go speak somewhere, so, and just adjust to who you're speaking to. So I'm really excited about this week. What, what a beautiful morning we have. I was thinking about how it was reminding me of summertime when I was growing up. I grew up in California. I grew up in Los Angeles. So we didn't have this kind of weather in Los Angeles where it would be muggy and warm after a rain at night and then build all day long till the clouds gathered up and then it would rain again. I guess that's kind of what the weather is saying we're going to do. It's going to rain again. In California, you knew it was going to rain about five days beforehand. Okay, it, does, it doesn't just rain there. Just, there's no such thing as a pop-up shower in California. So I was thinking about coming uh, back to Arkansas where my grandparents lived in the summertime and remembering just all the humidity in the air and uh, just all the green things that you see. So, of course, I've been living in this part of the country since 96, and I'm used to it now. This is really my home. But uh, I guess I'm very reflective. Before we start, I'm, I'm very reflective of of my life and being a member of the church. And kind of that's what I want to talk about this morning, being a part of the uni universal family of believers. I was raised in Los Angeles, and yet I was a member of the church, really, in a sense, from the moment that I was born. I was born on a Monday evening at 7 p.m., and by the following Sunday, my parents brought me to worship. And I guess every single time since, I've only missed because of sickness, except for once or twice in probably my young adult years when I was being a little bit rebellious. But outside of that, I've pretty much been to every service of the church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, really since I came into this world. And that was, of course, in California. And my grandparents were missionaries in New Zealand, and they had six children that lived in different parts of the country, different parts of the world, and they raised them in the church. And I've got to, I've been blessed with the opportunity to travel all over the country and all over the world to preach. And I can tell you that there's no greater blessing on earth than to be a member of the family of God. It really is true. So this week, what we have is an opportunity to spend some time together. We have today through Thursday to get to know each other better. But, you know, you have been my family ever since I've been a part of the family of God, if you've been a part of the family of God. And that's what's different about being a member of the church. So let's open our Bibles and let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. This is the third time that I've been here in this building. Two other times was just to visit, to listen to speakers of meetings that you've had in the past. And I've always enjoyed being here for those moments. And I know what a good congregation you are of God's people and I'm proud of the work that you're doing. And uh, I'm really proud of my congregation. I say my congregation, of course, where I work at Willow and I'm a member because they're all, they're all at Willow today. They all stayed home and they did not follow me here but they're at Willow. Now, I su suppose that they'll be here other times. In fact, I was hoping at 2 p.m. we'd have a large group come, but uh, we have one of our deacons whose uh, brother's passed away, and they'll be there at the funeral home at 2 p.m. for that service, and that's where our family's supposed to be, right, Sur supporting each other and helping each other. But uh, hopefully tomorrow night they're going to bring a bus and a group of folks, and 
So I'm looking forward to seeing people from Willow every single day this week, but not this morning. They're all where they're supposed to be, and that is at the home congregation where we work. Okay, let's look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, and I'm going to point this out. This is the very last time that you see the word family chronologically in the Bible. Ephesians 4, verse 15, uh, chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The whole family. Who's he speaking of? Well, he's not just talking to the church at Ephesus, but he's looking into his mind and he's thinking about the blessings that God has given in the church, and he's talking about the family and how they've all been a part of the body of Christ because of what Jesus has done. This is a part of an opening statement uh, of this chapter that Paul is writing, um, praying for the church to have everything God intended them to have. Love for God in Christ, a full understanding of what Christianity was, the blessings of Christianity, strength in the inner man, that Christ might dwell in their hearts individually by faith. He's expressing in this text the countless virtues, uh, the incomprehensible rewards that come with being a part of the family, which is the church, uh, the spiritual family of God. So I, I bring that in to us by introduction because we are going to be talking about the family this week. Specifically, we really want to talk more about the church, God's family, because we're interested in spiritual things above all things. But we're also going to spend some time talking about the physical family and how to function properly as a family. I think this may be old, but I've learned that the old things are the right things. The Jeremiah of the past would say, seek the old paths where the good way is and walk in those things. So maybe things that you will hear this week won't be anything that you've not heard before, but things that need to be in our minds, in our hearts, and that we need to be reminded of. But what I'm going to say that maybe is old is the strength of the church is based on the strength of individual families. The strength of our nation is what? Based on the strength of individual families. If there is a breakdown in any type of organization, you can go all the way down to the individual members of that organization and the relationship or the strength that they have with the oldest institution that God ever created, and that's the family. Genesis chapter 1, you have Adam and Eve together being put together for the purpose of multiplying and filling the earth. Um, chapter 2, you start seeing words like husband and wife. And then chapter 3, father and mother and children. Uh, this is the oldest institution, the family. So that's the structure that God gives to us, and that's what he wants us to be a part of. And for this class hour, I want to talk about the great blessings of being a part of the universal family of believers. Look also to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. One of the things that I find whenever I do meetings is that I have more material than I'll ever cover. That's something that preachers do to just make sure that they, they are supplying the congregation with everything that they possibly can in the time that they've been allotted. And then I find myself maybe getting about half of it covered. So it's no possible way for me to cover all the material. So I'm going to try and just speak to you about the things that I think are the most important. First Peter chapter 2. Um, by the way, 
Peter is writing, if you go back to chapter 1 and verse 1, to the pilgrims of the dispersion, specifically people in Asia Minor. But the idea of being a pilgrim is being a stranger, uh, dispersed because they were being persecuted. So he's really talking to, to Christians in general. And look at chapter 2 and verse 4. He says, coming to him, that's coming to Christ, as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a royal priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Down to verse 9, another very well-known passage or verse. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Again, this is general instructions to a group of churches in Asia Minor, but can be applied to us today and really for the last 2,000 years, that we're a part of this universal priesthood. Well, what does that mean? It means that we have one high priest, which is Jesus Christ, and he is the chief cornerstone. He is the foundation of the church. And just like in the Old Testament, through that high priest, people were able to offer up sacrifices to God and even receive atonement for sin, we really are a kingdom of priests, a universal priesthood of believers. Now, there are religions that exist in our world that have a priestly caste and what they might call the laity. But that's not the biblical pattern in the New Testament church. The true pattern is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. So what does that mean? That means that you and I and really every Christian everywhere is a part of a universal priesthood. What did a priest do? Offered sacrifices to God. What do we do? We're offering up spiritual sacrifices. Romans chapter 12, it says, which is our reasonable service. So we then become a part of a network or a family that is anywhere and everywhere a person can go. Go back to the Great Commission. When you think about the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and following, or... Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, there is a two-letter word. What is that word? Go, right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to who? Every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Or go to Matthew 28 and verse 19. Again, two-letter word. Go. Go and do what? Make disciples of who? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. So from the beginning, God had chosen in his mind to give every single person an opportunity to be part of the family. Last two Sundays ago, two Sundays ago, we had our coming home Sunday, last Sunday at Willow. And before the Sunday, but that Sunday, um, See, April the 17th, is that right? I can't remember. Yeah, I think that's right. We were worshiping in Boston. Um, we went to a congregation there that we 
you have to any anymore of course if you're traveling you kind of have to do some research you do some research to find a congregation of God's people uh, who worship according to the to the Bible who teach the truth about salvation and so on people that you would recognize as members of your family spiritually because they go by the same manual that you do for the lifestyle that God wants us to live so we found a congregation there the next day I was going to be running the Boston Marathon and we had been there the year before and we had gone with uh, a friend of ours uh, Lynn Burnett who's an elder at the church up in Allen's who's run the Boston Marathon the last 11 years in a row For the last 11 years he's gone to this congregation and uh, this congregation looks very different than we do culturally they're very different the color of their skin is different and we were the only white people basically in the building and um, and their worship their worship was culturally different um, their, their singing was I guess you might say a little more spirit-filled we might say than maybe some are ours is based on their culture now when I say spirit-filled you know what I mean I'm talking about individual human spirit I'm not talking about Holy Spirit because we sing with the understanding right and we Pray with the understanding, 1 Corinthians says. But anyway, it was very different. But when the preacher got up there to preach, and when we observed the Lord's Supper, maybe in a different order a little bit, maybe with a different type of uh, organization, you might say, of time. And I'll tell you one thing, they're not looking at a clock. I mean, we went for two hours. 10.30 was the start of the service, and we left at 12.30. And they had already had Bible class. So that's not something they're concerned about, the clock. The preacher got up, and he spoke for 50 minutes to an hour. Amber, would you say that for sure? That's not going to happen this week, okay? It's not going to happen, so you don't have to worry. But, you know, if it did, that'd be okay, right? Because we're here worshiping together. But I guess I, what I'm saying is it's so refreshing to be able to travel anywhere in the world, really, and worship with a universal family. Why is that possible? Because of the seed. You see, in Luke chapter 8 and verse 11, Jesus said that the seed is the word of God. And anywhere where that seed is planted and open hearts receive it, it's going to produce the same crop. So I already knew before I came this week, and also based on the fact that I've been here twice, that when I walked through the doors of this building, I was walking in to worship with my family. And so I hope with that in mind, I hope that as we move forward this week, that we really grow close together and that we really help each other with the things that we need to know to please God and encourage each other because we are on our way to heaven if we're doing the will of God. So I don't know how you're feeling this morning, but I'm, I feel fantastic. I'm ready to worship. I'm ready to be here. I'm encouraged by you. And I know that with a little bit of help from each other and by the grace of God, one day heaven's going to be our home. So I submit to you that we should be the happiest people on the face of the earth, right? The happiest people, if we're really children of God. So my main goal then this week is to talk to you about your responsibilities in the family of God and the family at home, and then to encourage everyone who's not a part of the spiritual family of the church to make their decision to do that. I can't imagine what my life would be like if I was not a member of the body of Christ. All right, let's look over to Ephesians chapter 4. If someone was going to ask me, tell me about this family. Tell me about the universal family of believers that you want to speak of. What does the Bible say about it? And why is it that you know that there is a universal family? 
Well, we could go back to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 15 where it says that through Jesus Christ, the whole family of heaven and earth is named. He's not talking about a physical family there. It's obvious that he's talking about a spiritual family. But, of course, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4, um, all the way through 6, there is one body and one spirit, just as you're called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is above all and through all and in you all. So there is one body. Uh, we could talk about the seven ones there, but let's just concentrate on the one body. And flip back to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22, where it's talking there about God's intentions in Jesus Christ. And he that is God put all things under his, that is Christ's feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the church is what? His body. We go back to Ephesians chapter 4. It says that there is one body. Therefore, how many churches are there? One. Because I was raised as the grandson of a preacher, and for about 11 years, my grandfather was our preacher in Turlock, California. Uh, this was after 20 years of mission work in New Zealand. But because I was raised around him um, from a very early age, I was already taught to tell other people about Christ and have Bible studies with them. And it's a pretty normal thing to have at least one Bible study a week as a local minister. Um, that's, our, that's my goal. I actually, um, I do all these other things like speak in front of you folks so I can have the Bible studies. That's my favorite thing to do is to sit down with someone one-on-one -on -one and just study God's Word together. Why? Because people do not know the book. People desperately need to study the Bible. And they need to study it one-on-one, -on -one, and they need to study it with someone who's been studying it for a long time. Um, that's how I became a Christian. Somebody who knew a whole lot more about the Bible than I did was willing to give that to me. And now as I'm growing in my faith and as I'm getting older, now I have that responsibility to give that to them. So what's going to happen when I study with someone is eventually we're going to talk about the universal family of believers. We're going to talk about the church because God wanted all people to be a part of that church. Let me, let me prove this to you just for a moment. Just hold your finger there at Ephesians chapter 4 and go back to the Old Testament because we have prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming of the church. Now, you can look in Micah chapter 4, which is a parallel to this passage that I want to show you, Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. Starting in verse 2. Isaiah chapter 2, starting in verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days. Folks, we are in the latter days. Read Acts chapter 2 and see the prophecy of Joel coming true. That the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the, on the, mount, on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. And notice this at the end of verse 2. All nations shall flow into it. There's this universal family. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Where did the word of the Lord start? Started in Jerusalem. Started on the day of Pentecost. This is certainly a prophecy that talks about the coming of the New Testament church. Zion was a fortress. It was um, the place where David originally had chosen for 
the citadel to be for uh, his defense and for his protection and as, 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 the, as the king. Um, when we talks about Zion in the Old Testament and then it talks about Zion in the New Testament, it's the idea of God's fortress, God's mountain, and in, in a sense, heaven itself eventually. You know, on, we talk about we're marching to Zion. That's, a, that's a, a thought for Christian people about going up to the mountain of God or the fortress of God or the citadel of God, specifically, eventually, heaven itself. So in a physical way, we have something that represents something, a spiritual idea, and that is being a part of that heavenly number that one day is going to be with God and next to the king. So here's this thought in Isaiah that there's going to be a com- there's going to come a point in time where all nations are going to be a part of the family of God. So now I'm going to get back to talking about having this conversation with anyone that I study with. What is the problem that exists in our world religiously besides lack of knowledge, specifically even within the realm of what our world would call Christendom? Okay? We have we have this idea of course in America, in Europe, and other places where, where Christianity is at, at least at some point dominant. Now, in other countries, Christianity is very, very far from their mind, and people don't even think about that. Instead, they're worshiping idols or they're worshiping um, some other false god or some false leader. But the idea in Christendom is that there is God the Father, and there's Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. But then when it comes down to daily activity and church organization and being a Christian, it's like going to the supermarket, right? And going through where you see all that that pile of oranges standing there, and you just get to pick the orange that you like. And you feel it for a little while, and you see if it's comfortable to you, and if it is, then, then you know, you just that's the one you take. Folks, unfortunately... That, even though that approach is being used to Christianity, that is the wrong approach. We cannot look for the church that is right for us. We have to look for the us that is right for the church. You see, because God had already in his mind decided what the church was going to be like. He decided how a person was going to become a member of the church. He decided how a person was going to worship in the church. He decided how it was going to be organized. God had a plan for the church. And aren't we glad? Because... Imagine having a family with no design. I think we're seeing that in our culture today. I think we're seeing it. A family with no design. Let me tell you something. If we read the pages of the Bible, it is one man and one woman for a lifetime. Period. A father and a mother. A husband and a wife. Together, raising children. That's God's design. There is no other design but we have all these different situations and I understand that and I'm not I'm not trying to say anything negative about a person that doesn't have that particular situation but I can tell you this it's not one man and one man it's not one woman and one woman that's an abomination that's a sin and that disgusts God but in our world our world is so corrupt now in its in its thinking And it's been accepted now for a generation that the younger folks are so desensitized to the idea of right and wrong, black and white, that to have this conversation with them is very, very difficult. 
And so the only way that we can get back to understanding what God's plan is for the church is by looking at the word and respecting the word as the authoritative signal or beacon for us to follow. So we need to pray for our, our, this generation of people. We need to pray for our young people that they'll have open hearts and open minds, that they will not be deceived by the world and the media and social media and the pressures of their friends and the situations that we're now dealing with that are being accepted by the government. And instead, they'll simply follow the word of God. It is the plan. So now that I said all that about picking your own fruit, people pick their own church. They pick their own way to worship. They pick their own way to organize the church. They pick what their creed or their uh, basis of faith is. Folks, there, there is no creed other than the New Testament. There is no other faith other than the faith that was once delivered to the saints, Jude in verse 3. And that, to me, is very comforting, that God's not changing his mind. But that same good pattern that he's had from the beginning for the church is for us today. And that people that adhere to that can be blessed by it. So when I talk to someone then about the church, about the universal family, and if they want to know how to find it, I'm going to show them that there's really only one. There really is only one family. Pippin is part of that one family. Willow is a part of that one family. Those people that we were with in Boston, they're a part of that one family. And potentially, anyone can be a part of that one family. When my grandfather went to New Zealand for the first time, 1958, he was the second post-World War II missionary to enter that country. And basically, the, the church was not known in that country. Uh, there was one other man, last name Matthews, that had been there for a short time. And so imagine being by yourself, or maybe just you and your wife, and going into a country in which Christianity, the way that the Bible describes it, did not even exist, and having to start from scratch. There was no building there was nowhere to meet. It was literally just a missionary showing up and starting to talk to people door to door. What did he do? What did he take with him? What did he organize? I'm telling you, this is all he took with him. This was it. And specifically teaching New Testament Christianity. So how can you begin a church in your community? By doing it the way the apostles did it on the day of Pentecost and going from there. And teaching, of course, the principles that are also in the rest of the epistles and the rest of the New Testament. And what happens when a person does that is that the church is planted and begins and, and the family is extended just as God intended it from the Great Commission. There was a time before we had 53 churches of Christ in Putnam County. I don't know how many there are now, but that's the last number that I heard it. We have a bunch. Um, there was a time, though, that, that this church had to be planted. I saw it out there. I was looking at it. 1971 on the on the building there there were a time that other congregations were planted but every single time they were planted it was a part of a universal family and of course there are some identifying characteristics of that family like I said I don't have even hardly any time to cover it all that says 10 o'clock is that right okay good and what time do we finish 10 15 and and do, do you always lecture or do they talk back do they talk back sometimes? Okay. Okay. If I was down on the floor, I might, we might be doing that, right? And then but up here, it's like, well, I can't interrupt the preacher while he's talking. But you can stop me. You can 
put your hand up or, or say anything that you want to say, ask any question you want to ask. I'm going to go over some principles, some ideas about being a part of the family of God, the universal family of believers. Um, I want to say, first of all, and we've mentioned this from Isaiah, you know, Jesus promised to bring this family into an existence. Matthew chapter 16, look over there about verse 13. Matthew 16, verse 13, it says, When Jesus was in the region of Caesarea Philippi, uh, his uh, he came to his disciples and asked them the question, uh, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And remember they said, Well, some say that you're like John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And it says that Peter, Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus' response to him was, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say that you, that to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my what, church, and the gates of Hades, specifically the gates of death, will not prevail against it. By the way, that word Hades, some versions say, I think the King James Version says hell, but a better interpretation there really, or translation, is Hades, death. What's not going to overcome the church? Death. That's the whole point. When you're a member of the church, death is nothing to be feared because you're a child of God and you're going on. You're graduating to that place that's been prepared for us. But he said, when I plant the church, when I build my church, nothing is going to possibly defeat it. So Jesus promised this universal family. By Acts chapter 2... And verse 47, once it was preached, that there's a summary statement there after, of course, Peter preached the gospel, and he said, repent and be baptized, after they said, what shall we do? And then as many of those that received his word were baptized, and about 3,000 souls were added, verse 41. Verse 47 says that about the church, that they were praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So every day... Across the world, someone is obeying the gospel probably somewhere, and someone's being added to the church. That's the idea of the universal priesthood of believers. Okay, um, another thing about the church, about this universal family, is that we are supposed to fear God and receive discipline. Fear God and receive discipline. Do we, as God's people, have a healthy fear for God? I'm asking this question because preaching has really changed. When I say preaching has changed, I'm not saying that the message has changed, but I'm seeing that the approach has changed. Um, go back about 50 years, those of you guys that are old enough, and what kind of approach did preachers usually use in preaching the gospel? I mean, I haven't hit this pulpit once yet, right? I haven't done any really raising of my voice, and we haven't spoken a whole lot about hell just yet. Not that I won't, but you know what I'm saying. There was a culture in which people were given a very healthy fear of God. I think it was great. In fact, I think people are starving for it. Anymore, whenever I do get to go hear um, a man who takes that type of approach, just really bring it to people, I mean, they are really appreciative of that because it's been a long time since they've heard a hellfire and brimstone kind of message, right? Now, a lot of people miss it, and a lot of people have never heard it. I will tell you this. Preaching 
is supposed to comfort disturbed people, but it's also to disturb comfortable people. And sometimes that's a very good thing to hear. We need discipline and we need help. So Acts chapter 5 tells us that after Ananias and Sapphira died because they lied, it says that great fear came upon the whole church, upon all who heard these things. That was a good thing to happen. Now, it wasn't good that Ananias and Sapphira died, but it was, it was cleansing for the church for them to re be reminded that God was still in control. And I think that we struggle in our world today to have fear for God. One of the reasons why I was even taught that I was going to be here, that I was going to worship God, and that every single time the church came together, I was not going to forsake the assembly, Hebrews chapter 10, 24, and 25 was because God wanted me to be there. He expected me to be there, and it was disrespectful to him, and it was discouraging to others for me not to be there. Now, I'm going to give you guys some great credit. I was talking to Jonathan before services, and I noticed that you basically have the same attendance for Bible class as for worship. Very close. That is a really sign, good sign of a healthy congregation. So something special is happening here in the minds of people individually that they would see the necessity of being there for both things. I don't know where we got the concept of I'm just going to make it on Sunday morning only for worship. I don't know. That, that seems to me almost like a very denominational way of doing things, um, very much a cultural way of doing things. Um, but where I grew up in California, that really never happened. We always had the same attendance for worship on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Bible class and Wednesday night. And the reason why is because in California – Christianity is not social. It's not a socially accepted thing. If you're a member of the church, you're a rarity. I'm talking about being a part of a member of a 40-member congregation in a town of 100,000, and us being the only thing going for the church, the only thing. So that meant that we stuck close together and that we always encouraged each other, and we realized how important it was for us to know the doctrine so we would be there for Bible class and for us to worship God and to encourage each other. In fact, sometimes every once in a while because someone had to work or something, we would have more people on Sunday night than Sunday morning. Could you imagine that? But in, in this part of the country, I, I learned that because it is the Bible Belt and because Christianity, as the world would define it, is more accepted and has been for a long time, that uh, we can become very ritualistic and that church can become something like, well, I'm going to be there on Sunday, I'm going to listen to the preacher, and then we're going to go to Grandma's for fried chicken, and then we're going to go on with the rest of the week. Folks, let us never be that way. Let us never be ritualistic about anything that we do. We can have something that, that is faith-based, that becomes a normal thing, but every single time somehow it has to be intensified, it has to be realized, it has to be owned by us so that our worship can be pleasing to God. How many of us would um, admit that we have let Sundays go by, Sunday to Sunday, maybe through, through the Lord's Supper, not concentrating, maybe through uh, the time where the preacher was speaking, we don't remember what he said, maybe even through the song service, we just really didn't think about the words, we were thinking about the notes. How many times have we come to worship and offered poor worship to God? I've said probably many, many times, and yet we were here. So that's something that we need to understand is that God, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all 
the earth keeps silent before him. We should in some way tremble at the presence of God. So having a fear for God and receiving discipline as a part of a family, well, that, that's, that's important. Proper discipline. Read Hebrews chapter 12, and he'll talk about having earthly fathers, and they disciplined us as they knew for a time as best they could, and we, we honored them, and we respected their authority. And he says, how much more should we not, should we not listen to the Father of spirits and live? God has a way for us to go. Okay, another thing that I want to impart about the universal family. As I said before, the only way that you can really be a part of the universal family is if the right seed is being planted and the Lord adds to the church daily those who are being saved. They didn't know what to do. Peter told them by the Holy Spirit what to do. They did it. And then it says God added them to the church. Who adds anyone to the church? Only God. It's not up to a vote. It's not up to a board of directors to decide that you're in the church. But you follow the will of God, and God adds you to the church. For me, that's always been a very comforting thing. Because the only person that it really matters to be approved by, or the only entity, is God himself. I'm not concerned about whether or not uh, someone thinks that I'm good enough for the church. Because I'm not good enough for the church. By the mercy and grace of God, we will become members of the church when we obey, by faith, the instructions of his word. But God is the one who puts us in the church. And one of the things that I always study with, with people that maybe they've been part of other churches, churches that didn't completely follow scripture, maybe they've never been immersed for the remission of their sins, is that when they do that, God adds them to the church because they've simply followed the seed. So we're the family of believers, a universal family of believers, understands that there is really only one doctrine or faith or a teaching in the church. I want you to look at these passages. I know we're getting close to the end. Um, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. I've got, I've got three quick passages that I want us to look at. Maybe even a fourth passage. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15. Paul writes to Timothy, Paul the apostle, writing to a younger preacher, Timothy, by way of the Holy Spirit, instructions for how to organize and preach to the church. But if I am delayed, 1 Timothy 3.15, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. There is a specific way that we're supposed to conduct ourselves in the house of God, in the family of God, in the church. How many of you have heard this statement? As long as you're under my roof, what? <laughs> you're going to do what I say. Now, those of you that are parents, wear that out, okay? That's your job. You're absolutely in charge of the house. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3 where Paul says that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. There is an order to things, and a mother and father have been given authority over the home to dictate what's going on in that house. And you young kids, you need to understand, mom and dad, are, they're the boss, okay? And they're supposed to tell you what to do, and you're supposed to do that until you leave. And then one day you'll get to be the boss too, but it's not your turn yet, okay? And they're supposed to be giving you principles by which to live. 
Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Okay, if in the, in the house, in the home, there is an authority, if there is an instruction, and there is a way, proper way of conduct, same is true in the church. There is a proper way of conduct in the church. And yes, you can get religion wrong. You can do it wrong. Nobody wants to think that anything that we offer to God anymore is wrong. It is wrong sometimes. Sometimes it's a terrible, weak offering, and it's bad because our heart's not in it. Sometimes it's wrong because it's not according to truth. But true worshipers worship God how? In spirit, with the right attitude, and in truth, according to the commandment. There are a lot of people that have the spirit, they have an attitude, that they want to worship God, but they're not doing it according to the truth because they don't know what God has asked for. And in some ways, I would say, then maybe their attitude's wrong too because they've never really had the right approach to the authority and the way that God wants them to go. Here's another passage, Ephesians 3 and verse 10. To the intent, Ephesians 3 and verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God, the variegated, the many-faceted, multifaceted wisdom of God might be made known by the church. Who's responsible for teaching the world about God? The church. The church. It's not the school system. All right? It's not the media. It's not the government. You know, we, we wear those places out and we're angry because of all the things that they're not doing. In the meantime, what's the church doing? Where's the church's plea? Why have we decided all of a sudden just to kind of be in the back corner? Why aren't we leading the way to spiritual truth in this world? We ought not just to be pew packers. We need to be people that are teaching other people about Christ. I was thinking about that this morning. I know I, I've got to quit. I, was, I had to go by Willow Avenue because I, I was making some copies that are in the back about legacies, family legacies. And I'll tell you about that at the 2 o'clock service. And you just pick one up and take it with you. But where we worship every morning, it, there, there's a now a line to get into Willow and then another congregation, which is just down the road from us. And we see one go to the right and one go to the left. Now, I'm not going to tell you, well, okay, right is willow, left is the other place, okay? You know, right is the sheep, left, no, I'm just kidding. But, but we, we make that, we have that thought, and I'm going to finish with this. I have a lot of friends that are not a part of the universal family of believers. They have, they have a faith, they have a belief system, but I know, based on my own study, that it's not in keeping with God's word. And that's difficult. It's difficult. But here's what was my, this is my closing thought. Shame on me if I look down at them for thinking differently than I do if I am not willing to teach them. If I don't love them enough to sit down and have a conversation with them about it. Because people that are a part of a family like we've got want other people to be a part of that family. And that's how I feel. I don't know what your situation is this morning. I know we're going to conclude right now. But God wants you to be a part of his family so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. And God loves the world so much that he decided that every single person should have the same opportunity to be a part of the family. So we're going to be talking more about that. But we are part of this universal family, and I'm so glad that that's true. And I'm looking forward to spending more time with you talking about that this week. Why don't we end with a prayer? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for 
this time that we can open up your word. We pray for uh, this week and this worship that we're about to have, and we, we pray that it's pleasing to you. Help us in our families at home. Help us in this family, the church, to please you. And Father, we know that all spiritual blessings are in Christ and through you, and we give you the glory and praise for that. Help us to be encouraged and help us to be uplifted by this week. And we ask, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins and watch over us. In Jesus' name, amen. 